Good morning, church. How are we doing? I'm doing good, thank you. I want to be honest with you. The weight of this text this morning has uh, truly overwhelmed me the past few days. And so I want to open up with, with prayer. And, you know, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Would you, would you pray for me? Just in your own heart, pray for me. You know, uh, Paul says it's in our weakness that Jesus is made strong. And so, praise God for that. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to proclaim the gospel, to preach the word. Lord, in our weakness, you are made strong. And so, God, may I boast in that, that the power of Christ may rest on the words that I speak to the glory of God and the exaltation of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. It's not a secret to anybody in this room that our nation, it's just been a a rough year this past year. It's been a rough couple of two weeks recently. It brought a lot of concern for probably many of us. A lot of worry, a lot of fear, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty of what's to come, what's tomorrow look like, what's the next week look like, and You know, what's the future look like as an American? We're all aware, every single one of us, as we come into this room, what's occurring outside of it? And each one of us has our own opinion about everything that's going on. We all enter into this room, this space, with our own thoughts regarding everything that's occurring in our nation. It's not bad to think about it. It's not bad to be concerned either. It's it's not bad to have your own opinion. You know, right before... Philippians chapter 2, at the end, so at the very end of Philippians chapter 1, Paul addresses some internal conflict with this Philippian church, this specific body of Christ. And not only does Paul address the internal conflict, but the reason for that is he's driving them towards unity in the church. And he says this in in verse 27, it says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says, not frightened by anything by your opponents. Who were their opponents? Was it, was it their neighbors? Could have been. They were the minority, by the way, Christians. Could have been their neighbors. Could have been the authorities. Uh, could have been the religious leaders. Could have been the Romans. Uh, could have been the jailers. Who were their opponents? Could have been anybody. But evidently, they were intimidated. And so Paul says, contend together for the faith of the gospel. In other words, don't make politics or, or ideology the main thing. Paul says, focus on the gospel. Who's our opponent, church? Is it our neighbor? Is our, is our opponent our neighbor? What about the person who voted differently than us? Is that your opponent? See, if you're in this room and you voted for Trump, is someone who voted for Biden, is that your opponent? Or vice versa, if you voted for Biden, is someone who voted for Trump, is that your opponent? Who's our opponent? Our nation is maybe more divided than I've ever seen it. I'm not as old as uh, many of you, and I haven't seen a lot that's occurred in our nation firsthand. This is the most I've ever seen America divided. Politics, race, all, all of these things. Our opponent is Satan. Our opponent is the devil. That's who our opponent is. That's the enemy. Paul says our enemy is not flesh and blood, but the principalities of this world, the unseen. There's an unseen spiritual battle occurring, not only in our nation, but in the church. 
See, Satan's objective is not only to create division in America, his primary objective is to create division in God's church. And he is he's a schemer. And he uses politics to divide God's church. And we're seeing a lot of that today. So Paul says to this church, remain united in the Gospel and for the Gospel. So how do we do that, church? We do that with humility. We do that through humility. So Paul says, chapter 2, verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I have three points this morning to, I believe, will help us unpack what Paul is saying. My first point is this. Unity flourishes when humility flourishes. Unity flourishes when humility flourishes. Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Boy, what a time in our lives and in our society right now. We just need some encouragement, don't we? Like, it's okay to admit that you need to be encouraged in your everyday life. Maybe it's at your your job. Maybe it's in your house. Maybe it's in this building. Whatever it is, it's okay to say to somebody, I just need to be encouraged. It's exhausting what's happening to our nation right now. I don't just mean physically, although that could be the case. Mentally, it's exhausting. I feel that way. Not to mention those who are depleted because of health right now. And of course, all that's happening COVID-19 related. This is a season right now where people are truly losing hope because of politics and because of health. But might I remind you that on the other side of this life, glory awaits every single person in this room if you are in Christ. If Christ lives in you, there is a glory waiting on the other side of this life. And praise God for that. This is not the only life that exists. This is just but a vapor of what's to come in eternity. So is that encouraging to some of you? I hope that's encouraging because it encourages me. And it's okay if you need encouragement because we all do. Because we're human beings. And we all need comfort from love, don't we? This is a Jesus-filled Christ-centered love for one another. Think back in uh, week one, Philippians. Paul expressed, I I hope, I pray that my love for you would be with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now this isn't surface level love. This is deeply rooted, affectionate, deep down type love that Paul had for these Philippians and that he's saying that we should have for one another. It's more than just the surface. Sometimes it's asking the hard questions, making sure that you're all right. This is intimate. This is intimate, godly affection for one another. And then Paul says, do you have any participation in the Spirit? That word participation here, it's the exact same word in the Greek as partnership in chapter 1, verse 5. Remember when Paul was talking about partnership in the Gospel? This word is the same in the Greek, and it means fellowship. Paul's saying, you have fellowship with the living God. If God's Spirit lives in you, you have fellowship with the Spirit of the living God. How amazing is that? So he says, if you have any encouragement, if you have any comfort and love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit of the living God, Emmanuel, big Christmas name that we throw out, right? What does it mean? God is with us. 
you have any fellowship with the Spirit. And he says, lastly, if you have any affection or sympathy. Every single one of us in this room are objects of God's compassion. Did you know that? Each one of us is a recipient of God's tender love and care in our lives. Uh, this past week, I was sitting watching TV. And, um, you know, my wife and I just bought a house a couple of months ago. Many of you know that. And it's, it has stairs. And my whole life, I'm 33 years old. Some of you still don't believe that. But my whole life, I wanted stairs. I thought only the, the rich of the riches uh, have stairs in their house. I always wanted stairs. But I never had stairs. And my wife and I, we, we moved into this house, and it has stairs. And, you know, of course I thought, man, wow, I actually have stairs. But kind of, I didn't get to think too much of it. Because you're busy, you know, everything's happening in the world, and, and then we have a job, and then obviously moving is, is you know, frustrating, and, or not frustrating, but it's just, it's busy work, right? It's, it's not easy. And I never really had a moment to think about it, and then as we're sitting, my wife and I will often say, you know, what time do we check out? When do we leave? Because we're living in our dream house, right? And, and so we always, we always make jokes about it. Um, and so she, I'm just watching TV, and she says, do you realize you wanted stairs your whole life? And God gave you stairs. And I thought about it. <laughs> I thought about it in this way because uh, it brought tears to my eyes. It's like the tender love. God cares for you. He cares for you. What's going on in your heart? What are you thinking through? What, all that's happening around you. What are your thoughts deep down in your heart maybe nobody else knows about? God cares for you. He cares for you. Isn't that amazing? cares for you. So Paul says, the tender love of God, if you have that, in fact, if you have any of these things, so let me ask you a question, do you have these? Do you have any of these? Encouragement in Christ, do you have that? Comfort from love, fellowship in the Spirit, God's tender love and care for your life, do you have these? Can I tell you something? You will experience more of these things that Paul is listening if you're doing life with Christians. If you're, if you're doing life with other believers of the body of Christ outside of this setting, you will experience these things all more than if you're not. If you're just doing life as a Christian by yourself, then you will not experience these things as much. It's not God's intention for you and I to live the Christian life by ourselves. We're meant to do it together. So Paul says, if you have any things, and which by the way, on a side note, every healthy church will have these things. Every healthy church will have these things. He says, if you have these, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in, the, being in full accord and of one mind. Now that verse has unity written all over it. Being in full accord, being in full accord that, that's being like-minded with one another. This is all of us focusing on the main thing. Have you ever heard of that statement before? Keep the main thing the main thing. We all come in this room with different jobs different uh, forms of living situations. We all come in here with different backgrounds. Each one of us brought up in a way that is unique and different than maybe the person sitting next to you. And we all come into this room with different problems and different issues, whether that be financial or a family problem through a relationship. We all face different things in everyday life outside of this room, yet we all come in here for one ultimate purpose, to praise and worship our God. We want to exalt Jesus in our lives. This is why we come here, no matter how different we might be out there, we all come in here for the same chief end goal, to make much of Jesus, to worship 
Jesus. And so with that, we all have the same mindset. We want to exalt Jesus in our lives. And that's what we give towards, right? Whether that be financially, whether that be with the resources you have, the giftings that you have, the skill sets uh, that you have. Um, we, we use those all for what? The glory of God, the furthering of His kingdom, and the exalting of Jesus. We all serve a greater purpose, every single one of us. We serve a greater purpose to make this gospel known, wherever we are. And we all share a common purpose, to glorify God and make disciples. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. That's what brings us here. Jesus. Think about it like a choir. You listen to a choir um, sing, and it was just beautiful. They're singing, and then you walk away from that thinking, man, they, their harmony was just incredible. Like their harmony, we know, we know what that means. They just, they worked so well together. But the harmony, right? You walk away from a choir, it's like, man, their harmony was just incredible. Imagine if the IRS came to audit this church. Now, I don't mean financially. He's got, we have someone like Kimberly Hardaway taking care of all of that, but I just mean, what if the IRS, or not the IRS, but what if someone came in to audit the body of Christ? They came in this room, and we were all sitting here, and one by one they would come up to us, and they would, they would sit with us on the stage, and they would interview us. They would ask questions about our spiritual lives and where we are spiritually, and then they, they would take all of those results from every single one of us, and then they would go back to their hypothetical committee that doesn't actually exist, and they would say, you know, it's interesting I went to Hillcrest and I interviewed every single person that goes to that church. And, you know, I have no idea who voted for Trump. I have literally no idea who voted for Biden. I have literally no idea where any of those people stand politically. They were all focused on Jesus. All they wanted to do was talk about Jesus. There wasn't one mention of the nation or the country. It was all about Jesus. They were all so focused on the Gospel. They were keeping the main thing the main thing, wouldn't that be something? For us to strive together, side by side, for the sake of the Gospel. That we would have incredible, God-centered, Christ-exalting harmony with one another. How amazing would that be? So Paul says, complete my joy by doing that. So how do we do that, church? Well, again, we do that with humility. We do that with humility. The definition of humility, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, says a modest or low view of one's importance. A modest or low view of one's importance. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So Paul says in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So in other words, don't go searching for your own glory in this life. It's not about exalting yourself. It's, it's really not about making yourself greater. Now, you can become better as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as a wife, as a dad or a mom, or all of those things. You can become better. You can improve. But it's not about becoming greater than the person sitting next to you. Right? It's not about having more Bible knowledge. It's not, it's not about being more educated. It's not about being greater. Don't act or live or breathe or do or spend your money in a way that strives to make yourself greater than the person sitting next to you. Remember what Jesus says? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The least of these shall be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus' disciples were arguing about who among them was the greatest. And they said, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? Jesus said, do you know who the greatest was, by the way? Do you know who Jesus said the greatest was? 
It was the guy who ate locusts. He says, there's never been anyone born of a woman who's greater than John the Baptist. And then he said, those who are least in the kingdom shall be greater than even John the Baptist was. Flipped it, didn't he? Jesus flipped a lot of things, actually. It's not about getting ahead. It's about becoming less so that Jesus become more, can become more. That's what John the Baptist did. He spent his whole life pointing people to Jesus. That was it. All of his existence was to point people to Jesus. And what did he say of himself? I must decrease so he can increase. So how do we do that exactly? How can we, how can we count others more significant than ourselves? Paul says in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So one Christmas, this was many years ago, I may have been about 20, um, and I had a cousin who was 17. And his mom, my aunt, told uh, my mom um, that he wanted, instead of uh, them to spend all of the money that they were going to spend on his Christmas gifts, he said, you know, instead of doing that, use all of that money to a specific charity. I don't remember which one it was, but he said, instead of getting me gifts for Christmas this year, just give them all, all the money you're going to spend on me, just, just spend it on um, someone else, a, a specific charity, bless somebody else, which is interesting because I'm older, I'm more mature, sh- should have been at least, and all the while at that time, I'm asking for my mommy to get me an Xbox 360. You know, how awkward is that? But it, there's something notable about someone who desires to, to look out for and care for the interests of other people, isn't there? It's very notable. It, I mean, this is the example that the early church said. If you're following along in our Bible reading, you're seeing that the early Christians, there was nobody among them who was in need. Isn't that amazing? There was nobody among them that was in need. They were all looking out for each other's interests. How amazing in that. And that church blew up and grew day by day rapidly. But being sensitive to the needs of other people and having a, a Christ-like mentality, it's got to be the DNA of this church. It has to be the DNA of every single one of us looking out for the interests of other people. It's got to be the DNA of our church. It's got to be the DNA of your own family at home. It should be a commonality that every single one of us share, looking out for the interests of other people. Paul goes on, verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My second point this morning is grow in humility by reflecting the cross of Christ. Grow in humility by reflecting on the cross of Christ. This passage right here, any of you, you might think as well, it's, it's one of the most amazing passages of all of Scripture. It, it really is. It, talking about uh, the God-man who became nothing. He, he became a servant. He became human. And the appearance of a man. Then it says he emptied himself. The Son of God emptied himself. I want to read to you just exactly who Jesus is, just in case you didn't know. It says in Colossians 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. All things created through Jesus for Jesus. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. 
So in Christ, all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. You see what verse 20 says there? For God to reconcile all things to Himself by making peace by His blood on His cross. Not by His power, not by His authority as clearly seen in Colossians 1, but by His humility. So what does it say? By by His humility, did God reconcile all things to Himself. And notice here, it does not say by the blood of the cross. It doesn't say by the blood of the Roman cross. It says by the blood of His cross. You look at this, you know that that's His cross. Not by the blood of the cross, not by the blood of the Roman cross, by the blood of His cross. It was always His cross. From the very beginning, that was His cross. It was His destiny. It was His Father's will to carry that cross. To die on that cross. So it says that He emptied Himself. The Son of God emptied Himself. Though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied Himself. The word in Greek there is It means being emptied of its power. Emptied of its power to become void. When you go back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, you'll see this. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now you've heard that. You've also heard this. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. It was was emptiness in the beginning. But then God spoke light. And then His presence filled that void. What Paul is saying is, the most powerful king who's ever existed in all of history did not use what was available to him to free himself from that cross. He pushed aside his power. He emptied himself. The power and the wonder and the grandeur and the strength and the might and the majesty of God emptied on His cross. At any moment, Jesus could have commanded His angels to come to His rescue. Did you know that? At any moment, Jesus could have commanded heaven to come to His rescue. Jesus actually had that right, you know. He was God. His deity never ceased to exist, by the way. At any moment, Jesus had the right to command His angels to rescue Him. But the problem was, it's not really a problem, a good thing for us, is that was His cross. And so it was not never His destiny to ask heaven to invade what became His problem and our salvation. Amazing. Did Jesus have every right to stop them in their tracks? Absolutely, He did. But He didn't. Jesus did not exercise all of the power and the authority, but He exercised humility which can often, by the way, be referred to as weakness. Speaking of rights, when Paul writes this letter to these Philippian Christians, they were all Roman citizens. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a Roman colony. Why wouldn't they be Roman citizens? But considering how massive the Roman Empire was, as much as these men and women knew, they were conquering the known world. So as massive as the Roman Empire was, only about 15% of all of the men and women who lived under the authority of Rome and the government of Rome were actually Roman citizens. Only about 15% of all of those people had Roman citizenship. And all of Philippi had citizenship because of a war that was fought 42 years before the birth of Christ in that region, all of Philippi was granted Roman citizenship. Which means that they had the right to vote. They had the right to a trial. They had the right to enter into contracts. They had a right to marry. They had a right to, to do business. If you remember in Acts 16, it talks about, tells the story of how this church in Philippi was planted. But if you remember, Paul went to jail for preaching the gospel in Philippi. And they beat him. They stripped him of, of his clothes. They beat him with rods. And they threw him in the deep, dark dungeon of the jail itself. And then they came back. And they said, all right, Paul, you're free to go. And here's Paul's response. But he said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. Paul was a Jew, but he was a Roman citizen. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, Paul says. Let them, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. It actually goes on to say that they apologized to him. How awkward is that? Point is, being a Roman citizen during that time, it mattered. Even as a Christian, to be a Roman citizen mattered. Can you imagine being a citizen of the most powerful republic in the whole world? might cause you to walk tall when you go to work. You go meet church gathering. As Americans, we have every reason to walk tall, don't we? I mean, after all, this is America. Land of the free, home of the brave. If you go to a third world country, they treat Americans often like royalty. I went to Uganda several years ago, and I was having a conversation with about 15 to 20 of the junior high, high school kids, I mean, up to 17, 18 years old, and uh, they were asking me about superheroes, you know, Spider-Man, Captain America. Some of those kids are so out of touch that they thought that Spider-Man and Captain America were real people, real people, and I knew all of their stories. I could, I could tell them about the movies. And they would ask me, are they real? Are they actual people? Mind blown. Then, of course, you have, you have everything that's going on the last 12 months in our country, uh, specifically the last two weeks, and it's really heartbreaking, to say the least. Isn't it? Actually, it's, it's, it's a little disgusting what's going on in our nation as we see un things unfold. And, but being an American, we have rights too, don't we? We have rights. And because we have rights in this country, we're going to for what we believe is right. We're going to defend for what we believe is right. Even if that means storming the Capitol. Even if that means burning down the city streets and looting and rioting all of last year. We have rights. We're going to exercise those rights. And we're going to defend those rights. And we're going to do everything necessary to make our voice heard. That's how many Americans feel right now. But what happens when so-called Christians start doing these things. 
This is the storming of the Capitol, and there's a big yellow sign that says, Jesus saves. That's a misrepresentation of Jesus. That is a misrepresentation of the gospel right there. I don't know what Jesus they're proclaiming right there, but it's not the Jesus that I worship. It's not the Jesus who, who, who reconciled all things to Himself by the blood of His cross. In fact, what would Jesus have to say about anything that? He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. What a world that would be. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. What an interesting fight that would be. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Hopefully they don't do it in the winter. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. You think Jesus cares about your rights as an American? Jesus doesn't care about your rights as an American. When they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulled out a sword defending Jesus. He cut a guy's ear off. It was the servant of the high priest. And he cut his ear off, thinking that he was protecting Jesus. He was defending Jesus and the gospel that he came to proclaim. And what did Jesus say in response? Put your sword back in place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think, Jesus goes on, do you think that I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? It was never Jesus' desire to fight. It was never Jesus' desire to wreck havoc. It was always Jesus' desire to reconcile all things by the blood of His cross. That's why He came. And as our country is seemingly falling apart right now, before our very eyes, what do you think the Word of God is screaming at you and me today? Respond with humility. Because of our hope in another kingdom. We don't hope in America. America is not even mentioned in the Scriptures. Our hope is in another kingdom. A kingdom that will never fail. A kingdom that will never fail. Paul goes on in verse 9. He says this, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My third and final point this morning is humility leads to exaltation. Humility leads to exaltation. Think about it. The suffering servant became the exalted Lord. Did you know that uh, death by crucifixion, it was for the most heinous of criminals. Or it was for the most heinous of crimes committed by criminals. Your hands would be pierced. Your, your feet would be pierced. You would have to push down on the nail that was driven in your feet just to try to gasp for air. It was a horrific way to die. It was a, you would die in a very slow, humiliating way. Jesus was pushed around. He was spit on. The Bible tells us he was abused. He was mocked. He was humiliated. And yet, as he hung on his cross, as he was humiliated, being mocked, while hanging on his cross, Jesus created the very men who led him to the slaughter. 
And what did he do in his last moments of his life? He prayed for them. He prayed for them. As they looked at him and mocked him, he prayed for them. So Paul says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the, the same attitude as Christ, Paul says. So why are we here? I'm not talking about in church. I'm talking about just in general. Why are we here? Like, are we here to complain? Any one of us? Or are we here to serve? In spite of all that's happening in our nation. This is our nation, right? We're American citizens. Why are we here? Yeah, I think each one of us needs to ask this question about ourselves. Why am I here? For such a time as this, why am I here? Are we here to exalt ourselves? Or are we here to exalt the one who deserves all exaltation? Are we looking out for our own interests or, or the interests of others? Are we living selfishly or are we counting others more significant than ourselves? These are tough questions that we have to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus. Do you have the mind, the same mind and attitude of Christ? Or are you and I, are we focused on our own agenda? Jesus said, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I'm going to close with this. Jesus, who is the creator of the universe, knelt down to uh, wash his disciples' feet. Do you remember that? Right before the Passover meal, Jesus knelt down to wash his disciples' feet. And it says this, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the, with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he said to, he came to Simon Peter, it says, and Peter looked at Jesus and said, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize it now, what I'm doing, but, but later you, you'll understand what Jesus said to Peter. And Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered Peter and he said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. bet you it would humble every single person in this room if the Son of God walked in here and started washing our feet. Because that's exactly what he did the night before he was crucified. He washed his disciples. Smelly, stinky, dirty. And they were always complaining every now and grumbling. And Peter says, what are you doing washing my feet? You don't need to wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The suffering servant who, who became the exalted Lord. That's our God. He emptied Himself of all power and all authority. Reconciling all things by the, by the blood of His cross. What an amazing truth. That encourages you in a time when we all need encouragement. This is why we have to stay strong and united in the body of Christ right now. We, we've got to become more like Jesus. Maybe you leave today asking yourself this question, how can I be more humble in my own life? How can I become more like Jesus in my own life? As a husband, as a, as a wife, 
as a father, as a mother, as a cousin, as a neighbor? How can I become more like Jesus in my own life? Jesus is our example, church. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. And so He's also our example on how to respond to everything happening in in America right now. It's up to you if you choose to obey. It's all what it comes down to. It's up to you if you choose to obey. And so, maybe you came in here and you've been hearing these, these words, He reconciled all things to Himself by the blood of His cross. Jesus did that for the person sitting in this room right now who needs to be reconciled to God the Father. He did it with His blood shed on that cross for your salvation. Maybe you walked in here and you've believed, but you've never, you've never said, you know what, it didn't really occur to me until just right now that Jesus reconciled me to the Father through His blood on that cross. Maybe you make a decision right now to follow Jesus. And during this song, I'll be standing here, we'll worship, and then I'll have a closing prayer. You can come up, and you can talk to me, you can pray with me, and if you want to make a decision to be baptized right now, we'll do that. No better response than say, I believe in Jesus, that He is the Christ, and to be baptized, identifying with His burial, death, and resurrection. I invite you to do that. Let me pray, and then we'll worship together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You for this Word. I thank You that it is alive right now, that it does not and never will return void. God, use this Word in these next few moments to draw, even if it might just be one person to Yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.